Good morning and welcome to your Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kimberly Landon and I was right on time this morning. Did you see that? Yeah, you're a little too right on time. Uh, well, because <laughs> I walk in and you guys give me so much trouble. You know what Bill says? What? On time is late. <laughs> and I even proved how fast I could go to the bathroom. <laughs> As you do every week. I know. I am very quick. I know. I had my doubts. I know. You guys always test me on it and I'm faster and faster every time. Yeah. Um, getting rid of the female stereotype. I, I yes. Yeah. More like a guy. <laughs> and I can do it in the woods too. I have no problem. No okay. shame. All right. No problems. <laughs> it's TMI right there. <laughs> Listen, I hike. You know, so yeah. you have to be able to do those things. And I'm fast. Okay. Nobody ever knows. Yeah, again, TMI. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on. You know, we're friends. There's a curtain in broadcasting. There's a curtain. And there, it's no, okay. That's not, no, it's that's okay for good. some things to stay behind the curtain. Oh, so now you're designating the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't do that often because I, uh, I don't wow. keep a lot behind the curtain. But well, well, I'm a, I'm comfortable with that curtain, so it's okay for yeah. me. <laughs> so that's two days in a row. I mean, two shows in a row. We've been talking about that. What pee? Well, Last I'll, week was sarin gas coming. All kinds out of, of the... excretion. Excretion. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> last week Maybe we talked a... about the marathon. And, oh, yeah. oh, that's right. Yeah. That wasn't last week, though. That was a couple of weeks ago. Was it? I don't know. Everything blends together these days. <laughs> no, it was last week. <laughs> last week I thought last we were talking week, about sarin gas blowing at me and through the toilet. Remember when I stood up and was like, there was a thing blowing over me. I'm like, oh, I'm getting poisoned inside <laughs> yes, the jail cell. <laughs> we talked about that, too. Yes. You ran the marathon last week, didn't you? Uh, the 12th. Whatever. Was that last week? I don't know. Sure. Mm, maybe not. I don't know. You have a better memory than me. I swear, everything's blending together. It would be perfect topic for today, since we're going to talk. How today come on? What's going on? Food. We're going to talk. Well, well, let's start with you. What's, oh, well, what's let's going start. on? Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll do my. Well, so if you really must know, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a stressful weekend. Mm-hmm. So when people have doubt, which they do, that you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, we don't have our own human issues because people think we don't. We do. Yeah. So mush, the cat of my life, my boy, yeah, my fur baby, um. He almost died. That's a thing now, cat of my life? Well, he's the cat of my life. So you'll have other cats, but they won't be mush. Well, he's my boy. Yeah. I, I have another boy, but my other boy is only new to me. No, I so had a dog, is, and there'll never be another. This is my There'll boy. never be another Charlie. I know. He, there's a certain there's one. I have five, but yeah. he's my boy, you know? Yeah. So he almost died. Mm-hmm. He, um, on Sunday morning, well, he started crashing on Friday. We started having a dip. And then by Sunday morning at 6 a.m., we were at the emergency hospital. Oh, God. He's still there. And so it's been a bit of a stressful few days. Yeah. And, uh, yep. And it was not good. So, For a number of but different reasons. He's gonna oh, come I'm home sorry today. to hear that. Oh, okay. Good. So we think. So he had a, a few little issues related to some of the things that have been going on, but everyone's very pleased with his progress. So hopefully when he comes home, I won't mess it up. <laughs> That's my biggest fear is he'll come home and I will mess it up. But I really won't. It's yes, just that. But is that fear real? No. Well, yes, it is real. It has reality to it that I could make a mistake in like his insulin or I don't give him at the right time or, you know, consistency. So there's a reality to it. But the well, likelihood knowing to me a... as Dr. Kim, yeah. unlikely. Yeah. But I still have that fear. But I have to talk to that fear about the fact that, you know. Well, in the strict terms of reality, that's a real threat. I mean, a, right. a hospital, a veterinary hospital, a doctor could do that. A vet, a vet could do that. Right. It happens. But right. you're fairly responsible person you're not going to do that thanks fairly responsible i am fairly responsible uh, thank you trying to make a controlled statement there well just i think well you're very lovely no, no. 
<laughs> oh, here we go. I was trying not to undermine it with, with being superfluous. Or being, I got gotcha. you. So, well, I'm very confident in 99% of this that I've got it. However, it was so scary to watch what happened so fast over the weekend yeah. and get out of control so fast. And I know why it happened and it was beyond my control and it's unlikely to ever happen again kind of thing. But yeah. it was just so scary that yeah. it's all those uncontrollables that you have no knowledge of that could be there and then you have to quickly decide so all all the more reason you will do your job i will i will absolutely do my job so yes so on top of that you know i have the other one that's got hyperthyroid and we've Uh started that with the little tumor that she has to have removed but that can't be done until the until the hyperthyroid is under control and then i got a call this morning to tell me that my other lovely little long hair has hyperthyroid as well (laughs) so i'm just like I, and so I said to the vet this morning while I was running and she called me on my run and she said, hi, Kim. She just, we talk every day now. And she's just like, so, (laughs) and I, I, if I could have screamed from a mountaintop, either cry, laugh or scream. I'm like, no. (laughs) Oh God. So yeah, so she has hyperthyroid. Do you have a vet on retainer or do you get a, are you getting a bulk rate now? I said that I want a wing named after me (laughs) at this point because, you know, I'm bleeding. Yeah. I'm bleeding out. And um, yeah, so no. so I'm so that's three out of five that have now chronic conditions. Okay, not that I'm a cat person, but those are the first two cats I've heard of with a hypothyroid condition. I mean, well, I've had I've had cats in the yeah. past that have had hyperthyroid. It's actually, I think, fairly common because I mean, well, one of them, the younger one of the two that have it in my house, they're going to have radio cats. So that's the when they take it out. So that's the one, you know, Sophie's going to have radio cat, but we're waiting to get, you have to get it stabilized first. What the hell is radio cat? They um, irradiate it out. Oh, okay. So, you know, they electrify, they, not electrify, they radio her. You yeah. know, they give her a nice little shot of radiation and it wow. eliminates it. So um, she's young enough to do it. Me, on the other hand, the one that just got diagnosed with it yesterday or today, um, she's a little older. She's Mush's sister. Yeah. So she's not, she, we'll just do medication for her. Yeah. So in the years gone by, I had cats probably 10 years ago. I had one cat that had it and I managed it for like eight years and she passed away like, like at 20. I feel so. like I've put up my checkup too long now. <laughs> got me all kinds of worried about all kinds of things. I know. Who knows so, well, what's veter- going on? so veterinary. So, as a total aside to this, because it actually is related to psych issues, um, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, veterinary care is a multi-billion-dollar business now oh, because God, people yeah. are so invested in the emotional caretaking. Because so many animals, as you can tell with mine, I am very connected to them. They are yep. my children. They are, you know, they have carte blanche in my house, and that's, you know, they're just part of me and just that's super important um for just most people so you see you've seen a trend and since i do work with animals and do animal therapy and and you know cross over the two together the amount of connection that it makes with people's lives and the emotional bond and how important it is to keep people um you know, people would rather talk to their pet, you know, their fur baby than to talk to another person and you get an amazing um serotonin and GABA and dopamine rush and in a good balance it's almost like a metabolizer because the the pet doesn't have any bias the pet doesn't have any strings attached they don't have any issues going on that are going to make you feel bad about yourself right this is why because pets are safe right no matter what happens between you and your pet no matter what you do no matter what you screw up no matter what right goes on your pet's gonna wag and you know come over to you when you come home Right. And that's yeah. and that's why there's such a 
um, there's been so much research and so much more utilization of, of pets and animals in therapy and getting people to have companion pets yeah. or therapy pets or, you know, whatever you want to call them. It depends. Um, but that's why is because we know that the bond that happens and the, the um, mental health benefits from that on both sides. Yeah. Um, you know, cats and dogs, both horses dolphins not that we can own a dolphin in the bathtub but nonetheless <laughs> yep. the bonding that happens is super important and it's reciprocal back and forth so yeah. i was not going to be talking about this today but that's okay <laughs> but you've also seen because i've seen it some pretty screwed up relationships between pets and their owners oh well so yeah Co so, codependency yes. oh uh, yes yeah. so and, and and there's i was just saying this this morning to a few people um that you know people think i'm crazy because I'm so thorough. So I ask a lot of questions. I'm very open about like, this is very overwhelming to me, you know, and I can't imagine that, you know, and I'm stable and I've seen other people that I work with because I work um, with a couple of veterinary hospitals mm -hmm. with doing like grief counseling and doing some um, caregiver counseling yeah. and the continuum of healthy versus unhealthy relationships. It's just, oh, yeah. It's, but you can tell, so no judgment on it because you can see like, so you have a 75, 80 year old person who lives alone and the only thing that they have in their life is this cat or a dog or right. whatever. And the, you know, they're out, you know, they're going to outlive the pet and the devastation. It's like a marriage yeah. that has a spouse that passes. And so, you know, and the codependency that's there and, and what's going to happen with people. So, um, that's a whole nother show, but yeah. yeah, but there's, a, but that's a lot of the work I do in that particular piece of my work is working with people surrounding that, you know, it's, but it's Dr. Hill myself. So when I'm in the, mo I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. I'm completely checked out. I'm overwhelmed. And yeah. <laughs> you know, you're right in the middle of it this morning. She was talking to me and I said, yeah, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> She's like, I know you are. Yeah. So, you know, you have all those pieces coming at you, but it, when you're not stable, so you imagine if you have someone that has pretty severe mental health issues, for instance, like lots of anxiety or, yeah. or depression or, or somewhere in that and they're being treated for that and you have something like what I've got going on, oh, that's probably not a very good combination because no. there's a lot of loss and grief issues. You have people that pass away with their animal. at this, like with You know, it's like a husband pass away, the wife will pass away right, right. away or vice versa. This, this happens is, with pets and people too? It happens with yeah. pets and people too. But that's going to the piece where you're talking about codependency and, and, and you know, the crazy pet owners that get really over that, the that top. Give up mechanism right. is fascinating to me. Yeah. Because that's how my mother died. My, my mother was living at home independently and she fell in her apartment yep. and went to the emergency room to get checked out and she was okay, but she fell in the emergency room oh, and broke man. her hip. Went to rehab, yep. fell in rehab, yep. broke the other hip. And then there was a certain point where it was clear and she was told she's not going home. Right. And then it was, she was gone two weeks later. So, so there's a phenomenon. She just gave up. About, so... So I'm I'm going to term it just the hip phenomenon because since I've been doing this for X 20 something years, right? Um this is so awful to say it like this, but it's true. It's when when an older person breaks their hip, it's like the kiss of death. Yeah. It's like you could have all the other ailments in the world, but as soon as as, as soon as someone at their elderly years starts to decline, the hip break seems to always almost always be the designator for the decline of give up, the give up. Yeah. Um so it's uh it's a, it's amazing how 
it's really correlated and there's research around a couple different pieces of this, but it's related to the fact that when that happens, the brain goes into that mode of I've lost my independence. If yeah. I can't be mobile and if I can't do things for myself, right. what is there left? Right. So unless you're having a complete cognitive impairment and you're in Alzheimer's, which you don't really know and you can't make, you can't shut it down like that. Right. People who have that, but they're in full faculty cognitively go yeah. into deep despair and depression because they give or up. Or if and, you already have dependency issues, you might be able to handle right. it a little bit better. Exactly. But the thing with spouses where, yeah. um, we see this, and it's not just spouses, but we see how spouses will go shortly after if they lose their partner. Right, and right. You, how many people have you seen where when that person retires, they're going to go? They're going to go yes. quickly, you know, because so, they need to be rolling. So, so it's, it's, very, it's very common, yeah. and the phenomenon actually has a trend towards if, if a husband loses their wife, they're more likely to die within six months versus if a if a wife yep. right because women are nurturers and they have more resiliency factors right. to them to be able to sustain and not have the codependency come up whereas men traditionally have not had that so they're more likely to pass away yeah so well, I mean, spot, women are generally younger in, in a relationship too generally and they have a longer life expectancy they all, right and they yeah. have a longer life expectancy but you put but in, if you take that away and right. just look at it the codependency issue if we want to call oh, it sure, that, that is that sense. the male yep. is much more codependent on the or much more dependent right. on code, but on the woman so the woman is more likely to outlive and stay longer at least by a decade in our research so they will whereas men will not you know in elderly marriages or elderly couples Mm -hmm. typically not in younger but in the kind of traditional people have been married 50 60 years or 40 50 years so it's quite fascinating yeah um that's why that's why pets are good to have in life with people who are in those modes because they also are able to fill in the spaces and give the love and affection but that's because one of the most dramatic examples of the mind's control over everything, over your well-being, over your physical health, over, you know, this is why it's so important to keep things in line. Right. Because you can flip it. Look how powerful the brain is. It can basically flip you off. Yeah, exactly. I'm, well, flip the switch off yeah. is what I meant to say. Or <laughs> flip both. You off. Or there both. we go. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it could shut. Well, so... The brain and the body. This is actually what I was going to talk about today about food. We're going to, so we'll transition eventually. But the brain and body talk to each other. And I, the past like week or two, I've come in contact with more and more people that really, not not that it's more and more, but it's somewhat heightened that people don't see the connection that they think of it separate. Right. But it doesn't work separately, and that everything that you do in your brain impacts your body and sends the messages to have whatever your body's doing do and then everything that's happening inside your body reciprocates but they're not like one to the other it's constant interchange right. constant interchange and, and it's not nuanced your your mental your thought process changes your biology it, it yes. literally changes your biology right. down to your dna and, and so right yeah. and so in your thought process is also predicated by a lot of things that are in your environment you know, and I'm talking about like, you know, if something happens, you associate it, you have a thought about it, it creates a feeling, you know, right? Sure. So, yeah. or if we were talking about like food, you know, foods also create Absolutely. environmental thought processes for you that, that change, like depending on if you're looking at something like, you know, people say, don't eat carbs. Well, wait a second, stop. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Carbs are not just carbs. Carbs are starch, sugar, 
and fiber. So there's different types of carbs, mm -hmm. and they each produce a different mental health state. So if you eat a piece of white bread, which is a pure starch, right? Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this yep. a long time ago. That immediately has a spike in the glycemic index in your brain and has immediate emotional benefit of high, high, high because it's sugar. And then it drops really low and then people are like, ugh, after, right? So that's yeah. not your good carb. Then you have things like No, but a, it gives you, that's, that's why these things are called comfort foods. Right. That's exactly because they literally comfort you. Comfort you yeah. for a brief time. Yeah. And it's, it's like, um, you know, it's just a Band-Aid kind of thing. And that's, you know, and, and that's, you know, those are your addictive carbs. Let's, I'll put that label on it for a second. And then you've got your sugars that, you know, you know if you eat something like oats, or oatmeal or legumes. I love that word. Legumes, legumes. right? So that those types of, of carbs are going to be totally different in your brain, how they get converted, because your brain is constantly metabolizing sugar. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize, everyone thinks that sugar happens below the neck. So if you're watching, I'm like using yeah. like my hands to show below the neck. But it's actually converting constantly in your brain to be able to process, to send the right signals to the right spots to get the right nutrients in your body. So if you're eating a... a so sugar is a fuel. Yeah. So brain, yeah. And, it's, and it's important for you, but you have to have the healthy, appropriate types to actually make your brain function better mm -hmm. and this isn't new information this has been going on right. forever that we know this which i'm guessing are natural sugars right as opposed so, to processed sugars right so yeah. so so white bread for instance would be a processed sugar right, right? so versus a uh, sweet potato which is fibrous and has good water content and is easy to break down it's a good metabolizer in the brain and it's it, it converts easier and cleaner yeah um so and you have to think of it and i was just telling a client yesterday this that it's your your brain and your body's like a car if you're going to put in um 89 versus 93 well, yeah. you're eventually going to run like it's on 89 instead yep. of 93 or super. So it's those are the dependency issues around what kinds of carbs do you eat. So, um, and that was the topic I was going to be talking about today is food and mental health. Nice. And um, so people are always uh, interested in the fact that their primary care physicians or their regular doctors don't talk to them about these issues. And they just say, here, take this pill, here, take that pill, yeah. here, do that. And, and then they'll say, you know, you need to lose weight or you need to do that. But why? And so I make it a habit to talk to most of my patients about what are they eating, how much water are they drinking or not, um, how much alcohol, how much this, how much that, right? So getting a good sense because oftentimes a mental health shift can come from just simple changes in food patterns or a food item being eliminated or adding in extra water yeah. or something like that. And um, so directly in mental health, if we think about it, and people don't probably realize this, is 90% of your serotonin, which is your mood regulator, the one that makes you happy, sad, you know, the right? 90% of that is made in your gastrointestinal system. Hmm. So, really? Right. So yeah. when, you, when you eat... <laughs> Right, you have certain foods that are going to make you feel happy. You're going to have right. certain foods that are convert and metabolized to make you feel better or not. So, and then you know it's the process of reciprocating up and through the brain and down back through the gastro system and the liver and the kidneys and metabolizing. But the brain is metabolizing that that kind of stuff all the time. So, um, like the Mediterranean diet uh, is probably the most conducive to good mental health. So, oh, okay. and that's been around forever, you know, people, you know, for the, you know, for dieting, 
in terms of lifestyle change. You know, it's probably the one that sits closest to keto. It's the one that sit, it's just got a clean space because it doesn't involve the processed sugars. It involves like all those really good um, vitamin-based foods that you need. Like, well, give uh, me the primer on it because that's a phrase that's thrown around, but people don't know the specifics. So, give me uh, give me an outline of what the Mediterranean diet is. So, the Mediterranean diet is you know high protein, lots of um, vegetables that are not high in sugar content, more of the like the fibrous, water-based, um, you know, oils that have omega three, omega six avocados, uh, salmon, um, mackerel, chicken, um, you know, all the water content kind of vegetables, cucumbers, spinach, mm. kale, zucchini, squash, like the things that are easy to break down are really good filling for you, um, but don't have that processed stuff in them. So, you know, an, uh, olive oil versus vegetable oil, yep. things that are going to make the, the brain have a, a less fatty, uh, environment and have a clean. So one of the so when you think about a Mediterranean diet, this is how I sort of visualize it. When you eat a non-Mediterranean diet and you look at your plate after you've had like a big meal, like yep. let's take Thanksgiving dinner, great example, right? Yep. At the end of a Thanksgiving dinner, if you look this year, if you go to Thanksgiving this year, you'll usually see people with like big globs of gravy yep. and then there's like stuffing and and potato and like a piece of turkey left and maybe a blob. Okay, that is not Mediterranean because <laughs> yeah. it, you have to if you have to clear your plate off and throw it in the garbage because the plate doesn't look clean, you have to visualize that your body will also look like that internally because that's how it's okay. going to sit. Yep. A Mediterranean diet, the plate the plate will be clean. You'll eat because one you'll just it's easier to eat. Right. But at the end, all you have to do is like rinse it off, and put it in the dishwasher because there's nothing. There's no goop. There's right, no right. junk on it. Yeah. And but you had you know maybe some you know fresh orzo things that are not processed you know orzo right. spinach, um, you know your turkey you can have that obviously but it's all things that are easy to metabolize and that they're all converting to sugar in a way that your body uses for the energy and your brain uses not in the way that's going to make you drag like turkey and stuffing yeah. and tryptophan from the turkey and uh, and all those things that would convert. And the reason why people get tired from turkey dinners is, yes, there's tryptophan in the turkey, but then you add in the mashed potato right. and, you know, and the stuffing and the sweet potato souffle that has the marshmallow and the candied walnuts. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> so you can hear the difference even, yeah. right? It's like, so, so when you think of that, how do you think your body converts it? And then people don't relate it at least in my practice, I have these conversations constantly about everything you eat is making your mental health state today be what it is. Mm -hmm. And so you are what you eat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it and it and can't be any truer because yeah. it's it and you know people can't understand that. I shouldn't say people can't understand. People don't understand all the time how important it is to just know that hey, if I do eat that, it's going to make me feel bad. Yeah. And then after they've eaten, they're like, I feel so bad, you know, like we, me with bagels. <laughs> right. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's why I don't eat them very often, because I yeah, know me neither. Um, but I love them. You what? <laughs> me neither. But I love them. I know. Me, right. I yeah. love them, but I know what happens. And so I just don't like that feeling. Um, so Mediterranean diet being the one that is probably your best mental health one. I know a lot of people that do keto. So keto is really close because it's high protein mostly all the vegetables you want and very minimal carbs carbs again meaning starch you know sugar um and fiber yeah. so you know if you want pure 
pure good carbs. You go towards the natural sugar and the fibrous, not to white bread, white pasta, white rice, yeah. you know, all the things that have the refined wheat products in them. And okay. that's huge for people because it changes the mental health. So, you know, when kids come in and, um, you know, the parents are like saying, oh, they're off the wall with their ADD and we start regulated. I had little tweaks in here and there to their diet. And just so it's manageable because, you know, you can't tell a kid yeah. they can't have this or they, that, you know, and usually the parents will say, oh, my God, that like made a difference. Yeah. Um, and a surprise. Cause yeah, because yeah. they because it's not that there's not a connection between, oh, my eating impacts my brain, which sends the messages to my body and helps me control the motor control of that. You know, back in the day, you know, 70s and 80s, people were like, oh, don't give your kids chocolate, too much sugar, it spikes yeah. the ADD. Well, they understand the sugar and they understand the highs and lows, but they don't understand that it's more complex than that. Right. And there are other influences going on here that you can also have a little control over. Right. And, and how important it is that when you have any kind of issue, physical, that the more, the more you eat, to that condition in a right way, the better your mental health will be, the better and more likely you'll be able to exercise that mm. will help you metabolize better. Like it's just this beautiful circle that comes full, yep. full way around because of the fact that you're using the whole cycle. So when a doctor says, go out and exercise because you need to lose weight, and that then doesn't say, yeah, no. but you have to, you know, I would like you to take this week off from white bread. I wish more docs would say that because I find myself saying how much white bread and the amount of commentaries I get on how much bread people eat, yeah. for instance. I'm like, oh. Oh, sure. And so I have people do experiments. I never say to people, like, don't do it. I just say, do an experiment. Go home. And over the next week or two before you come back, do a day or two without white bread if they're big white bread or a day or two without pasta. Yeah. And then tell me how you feel. And then add it back in and tell me how you feel. And... I would say 100% of the yep. time people report back like, oh, I noticed a big difference um, because they, they just never thought of that because it's so easy. You know, yeah. bread's so easy. It's filling. But it, they don't realize that it crashes you and makes you depressed. So if you're already depressed and anxious, it makes you depressed and anxious. You're raised with bread, and bread is a comfort food not from a physical standpoint but from a mental standpoint. Mm -hmm. Your bread, is, bread is associated with family dinners. It's associated with good times. It's associated right. with... You know, having subs or when you were talking about that, I, the first thing that came to mind when you started this was, oh, sausage subs at Fenway. Yeah. You know, the Italian subs. Yeah. I mean, the sausage subs. subs. I mean, that's just, you know, I would never eat that anywhere else. But if I'm going to Fenway, I'll right. grab one and go because it's associated with the event, which is a good time. It's right. Just, yeah. It's and, it, and that's associated with that emotional state. Yeah. Right. So like growing up, I used to go to this place called the White Cottage in Vermont. So I'm from Vermont and they used to do the big hot dogs and they would toast the buns with butter. And I remember this back when I was little thinking, forget the hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> I love the bun. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I, and I remember as a little kid going, I just want to go to the white cottage in the summer to get those buns, you know? Yeah. And, and now I would, wouldn't eat it. I mean, well, I would maybe, <laughs> but you know, it, just because it would be nostalgic, but it's because it would be nostalgic. And I mean, this is comfort. And then I would feel terrible afterwards <laughs> any part of this successfully i think it can't be a willpower thing it can't be a denial thing in other words i don't eat a lot of bread anymore listen i was raised italian so yeah bread was in my life yeah and i love bread in all different forms i the other day i like to i like to barbecue so i'm doing pulled pork and I'm eating pulled pork just off the plate. Yeah. You're looking at me and going, where's the bun? And I go, yeah. well, I could use those calories on something Some, else right. later. So it's a negotiation for me. It's not that I'm denying myself bread. It's just that, 
you know, I can spend those calories someplace more enjoyable. Right. You know, later in the day. Yeah. Well, and so, and that's a couple of seconds ago, you were talking about the bread being part of life. You know, people go to a restaurant, the first thing they put down is bread, bread, right? It's, you know, it's become, it's so socially normed into us that that's what people eat. And when the people put down bread and, you know, on a rare occasion, if it's like a really fresh roll or something, I'll take a little bit of it, but it's really rare. And everyone that's usually out at dinner is like, you don't want any bread, Kim? And I'm like, I don't eat bread. And yeah. they always look at me like, really? You don't eat bread? No, I don't. And it's not because it's, oh, it's fattening. It's because it makes me feel terrible. And as soon as I eat it, I immediately feel blah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just, and it's not because I'm super sensitive. I think it's just because I've heightened my awareness to, I know that as soon as I do that, dinner's over for me. Well, it's not that you're super sensitive. It's that you have a baseline. You have right. a baseline for carbs. You have a baseline for sugar. Right. And once you cut back, you become more sensitive to it. You react more you react more with less. Right, exactly. So, and people don't understand that if they're in the water with sugar and carbs and bread. Right. They don't understand the effect it's having on them because there's such a high noise floor right. with it that, you know, until they cut it out. You know, I remember I love red meat. And Me too. I do too. <laughs> I love red meat, but I don't eat a ton of it. Right. And I have noticed when I sit there, if I have a steak. Yep. I'll come, and I know how I'm going to feel afterwards. Yeah. And it's like, it's okay. I like steak, so I'm going right. to I'm gonna pay the price for this one. Right. But when you're eating a lot of red meat, you don't understand that feeling because it's just, that's just the floor. Well, right. But it's when you stop you, it. It's because it's what you, you're used you to. You start to notice right. what it does to you when you eat it. And I, and I think that if people could understand and, and really take a thought today and, and going forward about how when you eat anything that's refined, and people always say, what's refined? It's if you look at a first of all, if you're getting if something in out of a box, box yeah. <laughs> that's that's there. That's your first no. I mean, obviously, we can't avoid everything box, but there are some products that don't have it in it. If but, it has an ingredients label, right? If if it has an ingredients label, but yeah. you, but by and large, if it has any kind of wheat product in it, bread, rolls, pasta, rice, or you know, enriched. When it says enriched, yeah. that means it has. <laughs> That's wheat, and it has something in it that's going to yeah. spike your glycemic index in your brain, and it's going to change you in your mental state. But going to your baseline commentary, baseline of what we know of what we're used to, people, you know, you take an experiment, and you, you take two weeks off from eating all sugar. Right. Now, all sugar meaning carbs. Take your carbs out. Don't eat any starches that are that are based in that. Mm-hmm. You go through withdrawal, and people yeah. people don't realize that you go through withdrawal, and why? It's because it's an emotional-based, physiological response to the product that you have ingested. And people don't realize that. But that ends. Yes, it does. It, yeah. Well, it passes just like if you quit smoking or quit drinking or whatever, you know, and you've been chronic at it, it will, it will change. Because what it does is it allows your brain to reset back to what is really its baseline yeah. without those things. Because you're just putting in things that are man-made and, and not natural to the body, and it's harder to break them down. Right. Um, I think a few shows ago we talked a little bit about food um, and and how we've come to know more and more about how the glycemic, the sugar index in the brain is so important in terms of Alzheimer's. And now that they're calling Alzheimer's, th- that particular type of dementia, um, diabe- diabetes type 3, hmm. because we see that the sugar index has been so high in a person that has, and the sugar being you know, 
they've eaten pasta and bread and, you know, people coming up through the depression, they yep. were more prone to that, that, you know, for instance, and so therefore their glycemic index has been off the chart and they have maybe some, you know, diabetes, obesity issues. And so you see more of the Alzheimer cognitive decline in people that have that. And so there's been much more of a push in the past 10, 12, 15 years about that really being Alzheimer's is the, is the descriptor, but it's really diabetes type three. Yeah. It's a sugar issue. And that when you, you know, how, when it first came out was Alzheimer's, people were saying, don't use aluminum pans because yeah, Teflon, right. Teflon was a big thing and they had, they were causing cancer and all these abnormalities, which that's all true. But at the end of the day, what the research is bearing out and, and you see more and more is when you give a person that has early onset dementia or cognitive decline, you start taking their diet and changing it. In addition to like some right. of the simple medications, you can hold the plateau of that, of that, um, of that impairment level so it doesn't increase as fast when you start moving the diet around because right. it changes the way the mental state is. And it's super fascinating <laughs> because yeah. it's, you can see it. And so I'm a firm believer in that, you know, that's true because I just know the way that physiology and the, kin the kinetics of food and mental state matter. So it's super cool. Unfortunately, you have to be able to catch people when they're like really young yeah. to stop the decline and I you know in the past like couple of years when I've gotten in more and more into nutritional psychiatry psychology I'm like oh if I had only known that yeah. <laughs> when I was 20 you know because I'm like oh, I wouldn't have eaten that stuff or I wouldn't have had those drinks or yeah. whatever so um but that's the same thing you know if you're if you're a coffee drinker that changes your frontal lobe your frontal lobe is your big processor that that yep. that lobe of the brain and it changes all your states because it's what gives you organizational skills your executive functioning your decision maker um it's where your it's really where all your emotional state stuff sits and so you drink coffee or you know you drink excess alcohol or you eat too much carb then mm. you're going to be more likely to have some stuff going on up here it's how does coffee lot... what's the effect of coffee well so coffee is a stimulant right and as I have my coffee, mm -hmm. right? So coffee is a stimulant. And so so if you have a person, say, with a attention deficit disorder, that's already like a, a deficit to the frontal lobe anyway, right? Because it's, yep. it's where the impulse control is. Now you add in a stimulant like coffee, caffeine. Well, all the medications that are man-made are stimulants that that treat it. It's because what it does is it uh, it allows the, the levels in the brain that are that are in need of being leveled to come up to meet where the brain's deficit is at. Mm -hmm. So it's like a balancer. So the more coffee you have, you know, it's kind of like you go over the top, you know, the more caffeine you ingest, yep. then you go over the top and then your frontal lobe can't regulate. So that's when you get the jitters and you have that like queasy feeling and so on and so forth because it's, you're overstimulated. So, and that makes you anxious. So caffeine has a direct correlation to, um, being anxiety prone. So if you're already an anxious person and then you drink coffee all the time and people that go to bed, I mean, I will absolutely admit when I was a teenager and all the way up into my twenties in college, I would drink probably seven, eight diet Cokes a day right up to when I went to bed. Yep. Yeah. And now, you know, drank I drank a don't ton, do of, ton of Coke as a kid. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and it was just the caffeine and I would say, oh, it doesn't impact me. So then I took an eight year hiatus from caffeine. Yeah. And the first three weeks of no caffeine was brutal really? because yeah. my headaches, well, because it's a, you know, dehydrator. Oh, I was a mess. <laughs> I was a mess. Yeah. Because it's just so, it's so upsetting to your body. Um, and now I only drink a teeny little bit of that's caffeine. That's why, that's why I kind of 
avoid caffeine because right. I'm at a certain age where I would be in the bathroom all the time if I drank a lot of caffeine. Right. It's like I'm just trying to regulate myself here. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so caffeine is a dehydrator, mm-hmm. right? So coffee is a dehydrator and, um, and it, and it, People don't realize that it's otherwise a known as a diuretic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a it's a pee maker. Yeah. Here we go. Right back to the peeing. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. So, but it's a dehydrator, yeah. and and not only to your body as a diuretic to make you have to go to the bathroom, but it's a dehydrator to the brain. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so yeah. what it does is it's depleting the brain of being hydrated enough with water to be able to contain the serotonin, the dopamine production, all the neurotransmission that needs to happen to make it fire correctly. So it's kind of like if you don't have the right amount of coolant in your car yep. and it starts to decline, everything sort of starts to mis- malfunction. Right. Same thing with ca- excess caffeine. Your brain starts to, you know, that's why people, when they haven't had caffeine, their their brain feels like, oh, I'm in a fog. That's why, because... The brain is struggling to get rehydrated with the water content and the caffeine it needs. Can I take you by a rabbit hole we passed a couple minutes sure. ago? Sure. I Just, love rabbit holes. Let's go. ADD. <laughs> Speaking of rabbit holes, yes. Speaking of rabbit holes, does it, and I'm asking this sincerely. Yes. Does it exist? And B, if it does exist, why is it so much more prevalent now than it seems to have been in the past is it a matter of level of diagnosis or in other words i don't know kids okay. were kids were kids back when i was a kid so so there's a couple things here so i'll give I know you it sounds like an old man but i yeah so 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 i personally clinically believe it's a real thing mm-hmm. Because I anecdotally see it, yep. and I also have done a ton of reading and seen research and participated in, in doing some research when I was doing my degrees and stuff like that with people and yep. just knowing. So on that level, it is a real thing. Real it has thing been around meaning, forever. Real thing meaning clinical? Yes. Okay. So it's a clinical thing. Like, yep. And we know that you know we've had, we're doing research all the time on the gene for it. We know it's genetically passed. It's very okay. light. You know, so yep. however... I'm of the mind, as many people in my field are of the mind, not all of us, but many of us are of the mind that it's just been so socially pushed. You know, we have diagnoses that come along from time to time and they get really socially um, media driven. Yeah. And and this was back in the 80s when it first really got a big push that, you know, oh, right. you know, anyone, any kid that has blah, 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 then they're ADD. Now, I'm not of the mind of that and I'm not. I'm holistic. I am holistic. So I'm, I am not a medicator. I don't like to give kids medication because their brains are developing until they're 23 years old. I'm much more about like, that's the last dead end approach to something on any given thing, but it is an organic. Yeah. It is a frontal lobe. I call when I teach about this in, in the college, I teach about it, that it's like a frontal lobe fracture. You wouldn't see it as like this big fracture on like a sidewalk, but it's like this little teeny fracture in the ability for the brain in the frontal lobe, that one right in front of your forehead or behind your forehead, um, that has just enough of a teeny little problem that it won't allow the firing of the neurotransmitters that need to happen to make you less impulsive or think in an organized way or things like that. So it's a genetic malfunction that gets corrected with stimulants and or, in my case, I always go to good food, good nutrition, good exercise, because exercise can regulate that right out of the gate. And if you get a kid who has 
a little fracture mm -hmm. in the brain. And I'm not talking a little fracture, literal. But, you know, they have that deficit, then you can get that retrained because the neural pathways will train themselves to get back on track and you can bypass it. So we That don't, takes work. And yeah. You know how people don't like to do that. So we don't know, but if I were to ask you, did this exist when we were kids and did it exist to the same degree? So I think it did exist when we were kids, mm -hmm. and I think it probably existed to the same degree, but no one knew how to identify it. They just, it was, it was seen as hyperactivity. Right. Your kid just isn't, your kid just isn't academic. Your kid just isn't smart. Like there was all these different things of, they're not gifted. They're, you know, they're yeah. kind of the dunce, you know, the kid that would be sat in the side with the little cap and all that. I went to parochial school and I have a couple examples of, I, I you know, you know how you go back and you think, oh, I feel bad for that kid. Now, yeah. I, now what I do for a living, I go back and I think about some people I remember growing up with their names specifically and how bad I even remember feeling because the nuns would single them out right. and put them either in the front of the class, make them wear a hat, would say things that were terrible to them, put one kid in the closet all the time. And I think going back, I think that they were attentively yeah. devastated because they were just constantly, they were restless, they couldn't sit in their seat, they were distractible, the teacher would have to keep correcting them. Same thing you see now. We all grew up with kids that fit that description. Right. A certain percentage of them, it just seems like the percentage is off the charts. And what it seems happens to me is there is a condition like this, right. a, a clinical condition, and then all of a sudden a pharmaceutical comes up with a yes. remedy for it. Yes. And all of a sudden the diagnosis explodes. Right. Well, yes. And so that goes to the social generation of it, the social norming and getting, you know, it's, oh, it's heightened and therefore it's a way of explaining it and now we can medicate it and now here it is. So it's, you know, it's a re reciprocal and process we can make of, a few bucks of medicating supply it. and demand yeah. for medication and farm, yep. farm sure because it's it's very much that way and when that sort of you know ADD is sort of dropped off in terms of that because then Asperger's and autistic spectrum came up and then anti-vax because of it like you know each each little thing gets its its moment because that piece right there there's a farm yeah. big farm piece to it um, but if you take it and strip it down like when I see kids or I see adults that have had struggles or academics and you can see the same feature patterns fall out that they have had. You yeah. know, it's the same diagnostic features that happen to be there. And they either were medicated or not medicated or they, you know. But again, it comes back to, you know, it exists. And how do you help yourself? And I think the first thing is good good education and knowledge of how to just manage your own body. Yeah. You know, you can we can heal ourselves for the most part, right? Um unless you have like cancer not always mm -hmm. but in psych in nutritional psych we always talk about and pushing the sugar thing today but sugar cancer loves sugar yeah so cancer breeds off of sugar we know that it's not it's not a speculation so why would you then not want to know that right. so that you could control that for yourself to have you know but that's not always put out there so when i treat people with cancer we do a full dietary, just like yeah. make sure they have knowledge of that. And I always send them back to their oncologist and say, make sure you go over what sugars. And the oncologists always are like, oh, that's so great. We have to really talk about that yeah. because they just don't take the time because that's it's not in the protocol for most people. It's just like give them the chemo, give them the radiation, and send them on their way. But when we make those dietary changes, you know, we know in psychology that we, we in psychiatry, 
just with some visualization and some remodification of some thought process, negative to yep. positive or productive, and taking out some sugars and stuff, you can see remissions. You can see tumors drop. You can see tumors change. You can see all kinds of things happen just from little tweaks across the board. Doesn't mean you're going to be cured, but if you take the whole person into the account instead of just throwing, yeah, chemo at them only, then. It changes things. People don't understand how insidious sugar is mm. either, because right. <clears throat> the first thing you should do on any of this, I think, and it was when I step when I decided I was going to lose some weight, I started reading labels. Right. And when you realize four grams of sugar is a packet. Right. And you start looking at the labels, and you understand how much sugar you're ingesting. Right. I mean, a, a, a Coke, thirty-two grams of sugar, twenty-eight grams of sugar. Right. I mean, would you ever put that many packets of sugar into anything? No. And you're going to no. bang two, three, four of these a day? Yeah. I mean, and and that's not just it. I mean, look at every label, and right. the sugar is amazing. How much sugar right. is it that you're ingesting? And and so, you know, you use the word, you know, Coke, but I always go towards like people who drink like Red Bull and um oh. and Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew and Red Bull seem to be like oh. a really common, yeah. you know. And, and going back to the ADD thing, right? I've people seen teenagers sleep till one and get up and hit a Red Bull. It's Red like. Wow. Well, that's the thing is so. How screwed up is your metabolism right now? And that's and yeah. there's the brain metabolism yeah. is getting used to the caffeine and the sugar, and it's giving the bump, so they're not doing it naturally, which is getting their sleep schedule off and so on yeah. and so forth. And so, speaking to the ADD thing, when you have people who do that and they use Red Bull or they use something like that or Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew is notorious for people with yeah. ADD. Yeah, you're it's right. Like I that's, should do like a study school, about yeah. like a you know because yeah. I have tons of clients over the years that like they'll come in with a Mountain Dew. And I'm like, will you please stop drinking that? Because what it's doing is it's just firing up the center of the brain that, that has that little misfiring fracture in it to just keep misfiring because it's adding yeah. to the problem. And But what it is is like, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it's the analogy when you're building a fire. Yes. And you're sitting there and you're burning paper in the fire. Yes. It burns hot and it burns, but it's going to burn right out. Right. It's not, a, it's not sustained. It's not productive. Right. And, yeah. that's, and that's the difference between like a healthy sugar mm-hmm. And a not healthy sugar. It's like white bread. White bread is the fire. Eventually it goes in, it burns quick, and then it's out. But then you have the leftover residual of, you know, you know, if, you, if you're burning, I think that's a great visual, by the way. So we all have been around a fire pit. Yeah. If you burn lots of paper, at the end of it, the whole pile of the fire pit is just all these ashes and soot. If you burn just wood, the fireplace is always clean at the end. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, great visual. Good job, Lou. Yeah, thank you. I know. <laughs> Shirley says, looking back on my family tree, now that we understand ADD and ADHD and autism, it's clear that it is in our gene pool. We look at back at the family and realize that several people were actually ADD, ADHD around the spectrum. Yes. And it's, that's what, it, so to Shirley's point, that has been, and to yours, is it's been around forever. It's just, yeah. it hasn't been understood in the same way. And also, again, to the point of like, well, once something gets noted and understood a little bit better, people want to medicate it. Yeah. And I go away from that and say, well, let's take it first. And like, so yes, it's it's been around for generations. It's passed along. I, I mean, the the autistic spectrum stuff is a is, I think it's all in there and probably the same. But it's probably also a little bit different in the fact that um, we're not sure what causes that, but it has been around for ever. Um, we're give not me, as sure about that. Give we me have the lots data. Of I mean, we have um, we have the television movie version of autism we're right. kind of familiar with that and we're familiar with attention deficit disorder and those types of symptoms but someone who is quote on the spectrum on the fringe of the spectrum with autism what does that look like 
So great question. Um, so, so if you think of the continuum line, and you can think of people who you traditionally see in the TVs and the movies, and and they're just, you know, either mute, yeah, or they are, you know, they have lots of ticks and flaps and yep. non-communicative or only vocal, like with sounds. Um, yes, but somehow brilliant in one particular. And area. they can right, and yeah. they can then they can sit down at a piano, yes. and play Mozart, right? Um, so you have you have people on the end of the spectrum like that. Who, and you also have people in that end that are not brilliant as well. Right. So you have people that are borderline functioning and have to be caretaken forever and things. But then as you go along that spectrum and line, you can go all the way up to high functioning, self, self-reliant, self, you know, everything self-sufficient. But what you'll find at the high spectrum side where there's Asperger's, which is what we label it, you know, I hate labeling, but label it as Asperger's, is the person's usually super smart, oftentimes like brilliant, right? But socially not functional. Like they can be married and they can, but their social cues are off, their ability to read a social cue. Um, For instance, I have an Asperger's uh, client who has Asperger's and he We've done years of, I he has to ask me, are you kidding? Are you being funny? Because he will, I'll say something funny and we'll yeah. do some training and it will be this lag and then he'll go, ha, ha, ha. Because he does, the, yeah. the, the neural pathways to the brain of the area of the limbic system to read that is not there. But you'll see that particular feature from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other end of the spectrum. But when you're high functioning, that has got... In high functioning, meaning that you can be self-sufficient. You're totally. You can go to college. You can finish yeah. high school. It's just that you're socially. I mean, I'm I'm giving this a little bit of like. Yeah. I'm not giving all of it, but um, you're just socially really off. So you don't make eye contact. You're really awkward. And this isn't someone being shy. This is someone who can't right hold that because they don't have the neurology for it essentially. And that's what we know. And mm-hmm. and you and you see it anecdotally, like I see it in my office. But that's consistent throughout all their relationships. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's not yeah, it's in everything that they do. Yeah. And there's usually a high sense of um a person's social justice, like it's not fair. Um it's this is right, this is wrong and very black and white. There is no in between because you know if the rule says you stop at the stop sign, you don't do a roll through. And a person would get out of the car and be able would call out someone that you rolled through the stop uh, sign, and they yeah. would fight for that per you know. Yeah. Instead of just being like whatever, they just roll through the stop sign. You know, people are much more on that end in those things, as an example. So, so America is on the spectrum, is it? It's, it's, <laughs> well, that has, there's been actual saying. many many <laughs> talks about that and conversations about yeah. yes, America is on the spectrum because they're yeah yeah because people sounds have like you misread. described <laughs> you described a good portion of our general population. I know, right? Yeah, right. Well, it is a little bit different, but yes, if yeah. you took it like that, sure. <laughs> but um. Uh, but the difference, and the difference there, and it was something I kind of wanted to get into, is parsing that re- those reactions you discussed, which are from the spectrum. Yeah. And sometimes those reactions come from conditioning. Sometimes those reactions come from, um, well, I'm going to stick with conditioning. It, it's, it's like we've just gotten to the point where we react strongly to people because for the last decade or so, this is what we've been doing. 
Right. So so there is truly a difference between the people that do react strongly just because they have road rage, for instance, or something like that, versus someone who is on the spectrum or has Asperger's because their social understanding, their social understanding, the way they've made meaning in the world specifically is because, you know, this is a rule Yeah. versus people who are like, I don't care what the rule is and I'm going to fight because I'm in a bad mood and yeah. the yeah. world is against me and I hate people right. or whatever their context of their narrative is. People I've had with too many calls with my vet this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And pe but people will make people with Asperger's or autistic spectrum disorders will not do the same thing. Right. They'll do it more out of the social justice of it's not fair and it's not fair because there's a law, a rule or whatever. And you don't do that. You know, like this is what you do. And that's they can't understand why you do it why would someone break it why would someone bypass it like that doesn't make sense so do these um and we're re really down a rabbit hole now oh, the three conditions we're discussing are they and i'm guessing the difference is whether they are i don't know are they genetic are they predisposed or is this something that is the result of your experiences of your upbringing of your of your environment that led you to this point. Nature and nurture, I guess, is so, the question. So autism, by and large, from most theorists, and what we say now is that that's not nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, not nurture, it's nature, right. so it's genetic. Right. Um, but we don't know exactly why, and there's lots of schools of thought on why. I mean, you could, you know, it's vaccinations, uh, mothers who did drugs and alcohol, uh, um, fathers who had uh, sperm issues because they had done other things or had had trauma injury in their youth. I mean, there's really? so many different theories yeah. about, oh, I mean, yeah. the litany of theories. So that one, but my belief, just knowing what I do for a living, and I don't know if it's right, but it feels intuitively like when I'm with someone that has a spectrum issue, it feels just more genetic because yeah. it's not something that you hard to describe it you have to be sitting with it but it's it's more that you can tell it's not something that was like you know nurtured you know right. this is just kind of it's there you can see it right from the beginning whereas ADD um, is genetic for sure because you usually can see it a direct link to one yeah. you know there's always a parent like here's here's Bobby sitting in my office and and dad has it as well and dad's dad had yeah. it and then usually there's like an alcohol issue. There's always, there's almost always a comorbid condition with it, like right. anxiety, alcohol related things, uh, you know, something that's gone along and you can see it now. There's been great twin studies. Now we know a ton about this because, you know, there's been so much research that, um, that people who have ADD or ADHD, like it used to be called all the time, um, the nurturing part of that is super important. So yeah. there is a nurture part to it because a lot of times kids are born to families that have it and don't manifest the symptoms. But I, I know... I and know particularly girls, Lou. So yeah. girls typically don't show the symptoms like boys do. Interesting. Right. But you're talking about twin studies and I was working towards the genetics involved in this. And it, listen, if you're a parent of more than one kid... You understand that genes and traits get distributed un unequally. Right. And the twins are close, but even among twins. Right. So it's really kind of difficult to say this twin doesn't have it, that twin does. It must be nurture. But no, that's not the way it works. So, so, the, so the theory that I go by would be that both twins, so say dad has the gene. Mm -hmm. Pick on dad today. So a dad <laughs> has the gene for it, yeah. right? Yep. We know that there's an identifiable gene for ADD. So the dad has it. Twins are born. Both twins are likely to have the gene now. How does it get manifested? 
right? Yeah. Well, it manifests because of both children are raised the same way. They are, but once they start leaving the house, once they start having other experiences, what then is pressed on them by nature to then have the experience of something that would manifest or trigger it to start kind of yeah. like schizophrenia. So great example, that is purely genetic, right? That's a genetic pass. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a parent that has, if you have a parent that has schizophrenia, you are going to 50% or higher than likely have the gene. I mean, I'm almost positive. I've seen everyone that's come through that has a parent has it. Yep. Now it doesn't mean it's always going to get triggered. There's a nurturing environment that often will right make that happen. Same with bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder oftentimes is triggered um, by something that happens in the environment and nature. So I, I was working many years ago with a Navy SEAL and he has bipolar disorder. He's retired now and he's right, but he didn't have bipolar disorder going into the military, oh. but he did, but no one knew, yeah. but he was in an environment during something that a, a mission that they were doing and got triggered significantly by, um, a deprivation of sleep uh -huh. and then for the first time in his life and he was in his late 20s all of a sudden yeah. all this stuff came out and then everything was so it was a nurtured environment yeah and but or, it was, it was or, latent until right so stimulus, it just the yeah. gene sat dormant and then it was triggered now had he not been in that would that have been triggered I don't know yeah. but the likelihood in what I've seen is no so so th so these things are um, can be genetically sitting there, but doesn't mean that you're going right. to, I mean, it's kind of like when you pass heart disease or you pass people who have, um, diabetes can pass that along in their family line. Now here it goes back to food. Yep. What in the environment is going to nurture you in or out of having the diabetic issue, you know? Right. So people who have, who have, um, diabetes, um, I see many families that have diabetes come up in people's 40s and 50s, and they're are they passing it to their kids? No, but their behavior of how they eat and how they don't exercise is passing it to their kids. So the kid is already genetically loaded because the yep. parent has it, but now they're also teaching their kids to eat terribly, yep. not take care of themselves, and so on and so forth. So now it's genetic, but it's right. nurtured as well. Yeah. So those types of things you, you have to look at. So I try to look at all the picture with that. Some things are very specific and we just know that, okay, this is purely genetic, but most of the time it's, it's genetic and then it's just pushed by something in the nurturing environment. Um, so maybe the seeming increase to go back circle around to the start yeah. of the question, the seeming increase in ADD cases uh, might be because of, I mean, there have been parenting changes over, over the past two or three generations. I sure. Mean, it's just, it just we've, we've had generational problems that have been passed down. Right. Our parenting is completely different than it was in the fifties than it was, right. you know, in the, in the early sixties. Uh, so maybe, uh, those parenting practices have exacerbated problem. Well, certainly, I mean, certainly you could say in some kids, I was gonna say, I yeah. could make a case certainly in my practice and some colleagues and I talked over the years and share stories all the time in consults about parenting absolutely pushes, um, ADD environment for a kid to be worse. Yeah, let me give you let me give you one. Uh, one of the changes in philosophies in parenting I think we've seen yes. over that time period is if a kid was struggling in school, if yep. a kid was struggling with attention, right, and he was the kid who put in a corner with the dunce cap or misbehave, ended up right. down the principal's office right. or something, the parents would generally be on top of that, right, and try to rein in the kid, right, and and put responsibility on him to uh, change that to change that, right. Uh, nowadays, if a kid is struggling in class, can't pay attention, can't keep pace, whatever, 
they're immediately diagnosed with ADD. They're right. put on medication, and it's 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 the responsibility for the kid to and I hate the word, but conform to what's being asked in the class. That's not there anymore. So, so I would agree with the fact that probably a decade or so ago, that was more the trend. But I think in the past decade, at least because I encourage and I know other colleagues, in, at least in the school psych and then outside psych like me, we encourage not to go down the route of just putting um, medication yeah. on board. We try to get knowledge of where the parents are at and their kind of parenting style. That has style. to be a last resort, but doesn't it? Medication? medication medicating a well, kid? Well, in the way yeah. I clinically practice, it is, yes. It's not like the need doesn't exist, but uh, you, right. you'd need to be, you should be very reluctant to medicate a kid. Well, right, because behavioral modification is is the most beneficial and effective for kids coming up through with ADD, but you have a lot of parents. So you were talking about parenting styles. So the permissive, indulgent parenting style, there's four types of parenting style that we identify in psych. Mm -hmm. And so the permissive and the indulgent type, those are two separate types. Those are the ones that are really not conducive. Right. Um, well, and also there's three types of that. So authoritarian, which is the military type, that doesn't help. Right. And then the indulgent and permissive type, which is kind of like zippity doo da, like yeah. yay you know it's okay because you know everyone gets a trophy yeah <laughs> you know um and oh my kid's upstairs playing on their xbox for seven hours it's okay like that's yeah. a problem right those are the types that typically get sort of lost in the shuffle um because either the parent feels like they've lost the ability to know what to do many i have many parents that will be like i don't know how to do it but it's because they lost the consistency and control right in the beginning well the generational aspect of this is you have parents who were raised by people who didn't know how to parent right and right. trying to parent and it's, right. It, right when you don't have the model when you don't have right you know it's just difficult right yeah. and, and then and then if you, you or know, if you're one partner trying to trying to be both partners partners in a, in a right. parenting partnership that's problematic as well it's difficult certainly and, yeah. and it's and then you have the parenting issue. because by the way it's usually the father in the past in the classic family sense it's usually the father that's more disciplinary right yeah he's the guy who's you know bringing reining the kid in the right. mother's nurturing the father's reining the kid in right yeah now and i don't see that as much at all anymore no. so and i see a much more hands-off approach because fathers so, haven't been reined in for and, a couple right. of generations and so you have yeah. more of that going on because then by the time a child gets to be an adolescent and you don't have that consistent structure down for an ADD brain, and we're talking about that specifically, or an anxiety-based brain, right. um, you have a, a litany of problems coming because it's super hard because the horse is already out of the gate. I mean, we're down the field and over the other yeah. side of the water at that point. And, and you, know, and, you know, when I see a kid at 15, 16, and the parents like, they're out of control. And I'm like, well, you should have brought them in when they were five. <laughs> or a 15 and 16 and tells you we are the most anxious ridden generation right. ever. And I goes, wait a second. When I was in school, I was hiding under my desk for a nuclear blast. You don't right. think we had angst? You don't think we had social issues? Right. Things like that? It's, right. It's, there have always it, been, there's always been angst. But it always goes back to that perspective that I talked about back in even February is that it's how, what is your perspective? How yeah. is it being, how is the narrative being built in your head that drives the feeling of, you know, when you were coming up through and hiding under the desk, you know, what was the narrative that was being told and did you feel more secure versus like now? Yeah, hiding under the desk would be okay. Yeah, oh, I know, but you know. <laughs> you get a blast, but it's okay. Right, exactly. Hide under the desk. Or, yeah. you know, you can hide in the door frame. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. going to do something, in the door you know. Yeah. You might be glued to the door. Yeah. But um, but I think, I think you know, you brought up really good issues, and I think this is what people talk about, you know, in, in daily conversations when they talk about this is what is it? It's family, it's environment of kids, social peers, teachers, coaches, food. But, I mean, there's some really big pieces of that, and yeah. I think, you know, food, exercise, parenting structure consistency for anybody that has any of these issues whether it's you know pediatric bipolar which is super hard to diagnose because it looks like ADD um, ADD uh, anxiety ridden kids kids with depression um, and adults I mean it just goes right up through I mean it's all the same treatment because at the end of the day going to the theme of the show days if you're monitoring your body and what you're putting into it and what your output is and exercise and how you have, you know, sources of people around you. You know, if you're in a negative environment, well, it's going to be hard to flourish in that environment. If you're in a positive environment, you're creating a positive environment for yourself, then you're going to be more likely to be successful at this. But, um, but that's hard for a lot of people because it's, the culture has been made it so easy to just be like, oh, you have this, let's medicate that. Well, and when it's the go-to, and I, and I have this daily in my office, at least once or twice from all the clients I see on a daily basis, that when I say, well, how did the technique go, whatever, and I'll get like, well, can I just get a medication for that? Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no. No. Work <laughs> That's not what we're going to do first. Okay. And, I know you're running late for oh, next yeah. appointment, oh. but um, uh, just to wrap this up yes. from food, what are some of the major mistakes, one of the major basic mistakes? Generally speaking, if you were to give general advice, what do we do? What do we cut out? What do we do more of? So well, obviously the the basic mistake that people make is is eating crappy foods, mm-hmm. right? But if you could make one change today, I would make sure that you're not eating any types of sugar products like after seven or eight at night if you're going to bed around ten o'clock because that will help your sleep. And the better sleep you have, the more likely that when you get up in the morning, you're not going to reach for the toast, the cinnamon toast crunch the crappy cereals and all the stuff that's going to kind of keep charging you up on the same pattern so one thing would if we could do it today would be that's a food change and just you know no refined foods take them out if it comes in a box or it can be microwaved yep Try to cut that down as much as possible. Try to cut that back as much as possible. So, all right. Well, the time on the clock says, wow, I'm over. I didn't even realize. Thank you for bringing me back in. That's okay. It's my job. I know. All right. So you guys have a fantastic week. And if you want to see or hear any of my old podcasts, please go to your Daily Game Face on Facebook or any of your favorite podcast spots. And I will see you next week.